Welcome to the Law in Sport podcast with me, Sean Cotchell, the CEO of Law in Sport. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. If you haven't tuned in before, the Law and Sport podcast is here to help you understand the latest legal issues and developments from the world of sport, as well as get to know some of the unsung heroes who work tirelessly behind the scenes to keep sport running. Now, I'm delighted to welcome a friend of mine. Um, his name is Mohit Parisha. He is the head of sport at the law firm Mackerel in London. I'm here in their very nice boardroom. Uh, mm-hmm. overlooking, well, you can just about see around the corner, the Thames. It's del- um, this is the first podcast back in person. So, Mo, thank you so much uh, for agreeing to do this. And now we've known each other for uh, a good few years. We were talking about this earlier. We we think we met in 2015. Yeah, I would say definitely one of your your first like, big conferences, law and sport conferences. We're talking about Louis Saha turning <laughs> up late. Um, well, well, he, didn't, he didn't really turn up late. I mean, you could probably explain the story better than I can. Yeah, he didn't turn up late. Um, we, we did it. That was a, the first year we just did it all at Twickenham, and then the second year we did it at the Royal Institution the first night, yes. and then the next day. And so he just read the details um, and just assumed he was there. But he was wonderful, and um, like you know, at his own expense, I might add, jumped in a taxi from central London to Twickenham Stadium, which is a good 45 minutes yeah, away. Yeah. Um, and still, t- not only did it, by the way, one of the things you probably don't even know this, not only did he um do the panel discussion, he also um gave a talk. We had the Mo Farah Foundation, we had their um, which was a charity helping young athletes out. We had a, a group of them, and King Kramer, who's now in Australia, mm-hmm. um, with the Y there doing safeguarding work. She, we got, we basically did this initiative to bring in athletes to to meet and greet people, but then for them to build their networks. Um, and he did a talk for them, which was like totally out of the blue. I said, "Would you just Amazing. mind speaking to these athletes?" And he spoke to these GB athletes, these junior athletes, and they were like like blown away that Louis Zaha was giving them this prep talk about how to make the most out of their careers. And an incredible so, guy, yeah, and, yeah, um, yeah, but it made yeah. it made it memorable <laughs> yeah. that we got uh, taxi updates on his time. <laughs> <laughs> He's, yeah, he was like, yeah, yeah, we could track it. Um, so, for those that aren't familiar with you, sure. um, obviously back then you were a trainee lawyer. Now you're the head of sport and a partner of the firm. Yes. Um, can you talk about the work that you do and, and the work of the firm and how how that journey happened? Yeah, sure, no problem. Well, um, firstly, thank you so much for having me on. Um, Law and sport formed a big part of my journey. In fact, it was probably part of the reason why I'm here and sitting here with you today, talking about the work that I've been doing. Um, so, as, as I said earlier, it probably comes back full circle, um, being part part of this podcast, and I'm, I'm really honoured to be to be on here. So, thank you so much. Um, in terms of my journey, it started at at your conference, um, and from there, I came back to the firm. And a big part of building a practice, as we've discussed, is having the support of your firm financially, um, also kind of emotionally behind you. Um, to kind of share your your passion for for building something that that didn't really necessarily exist at the firm as a sector focus, so we had we had a number of <coughs> we had a number of sports clients, um, we had a number of entertainment clients, and it was a case of really bringing those clients together, networking a lot, um, and looking at trying to build a, a practice and a, and a sector focus and. And one of my first pieces of work um, was to deal with a, a TPO issue. Third party ownership. Yep, so, <laughs> sorry, yeah, I keep, keep referring to the abbreviation. Um, and um, I was working with a partner at the time who, who was advising a client. And uh, it was a chance really to, 
to flex all of the reading that I'd been doing, um, the, the regulations and, and, and obviously the, the ban that had just come into place, I think, you know, that, that year, 2015. I'm pretty sure it was January. And we had that letter from FIFA. So, um, so it was a good chance for me to kind of demonstrate and provide advice and assist um, a client in in their particular matter, um, and it allowed allowed us to allowed myself to show the partner who I was working with and the firm that actually there is an ability for us to to build something and advise in an area that we hadn't necessarily thought about or conceived before. Um, my second kind of big milestone, I would say comes from meeting a player who contacted um, our firm that year, actually, as a, as a first-year trainee, and he needed assistance. So he, a Premier League club had essentially said to him, y your contract's up uh, and you can leave. And uh, he, unfortunately, the last two years, he had suffered um, quite badly with health problems medically, been sent away to the United States, came back. Um, the club said we can't do anything more for you, so um, we can give you a few tickets the next season if you want to come along and watch that. And, and obviously, that's a big thing to happen to him at, at 22 years old. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I met him in a hotel room, um, and uh, he basically said, look, here's my documents. This is what's happened to me. Um, my last training session is you know, tomorrow. <laughs> um, can, can you help? And I said to him, okay, well, you know, it looks like we haven't really got much of an option in terms of the club not extending your deal. Um, but I can definitely see what we can do. And, and I, I naively said to him, what's your plan B? Like, what's, what's the next step? And he said to me, I haven't got a plan B. Uh, all I've been told since the age of eight is that I will be a professional player. I've got told the same thing when I was 16. <clears throat> and th and this, is, this is my life. And I've got kids and I've got my girlfriend and and all I've been offered is a few tickets to next season's games um, and he, he was in tears very emotional and it kind of struck me that actually who, where were the, his advisors that was the, the, the biggest thing that came to my mind um, okay the club had its own interests and clubs of businesses etc but I, I kind of thought well where, where is obviously the agent is, is disappearing at this point because there isn't any value in him anymore um, <clears throat> not because he's being let go, but because he he, he was having problems even playing. Um, accountant and, and solicitor didn't seem to be around the table, had no financial advice in terms of managing the money that he'd received from his first professional contract. That There wasn't any of that. No career-ending insurance. All the things that are now very prevalent in terms of conversations you've had with, with other, other lawyers and other agents on, on this podcast before. Um, none of those things were, were relevant and it kind of struck me as saying in my mind thinking we need to be able to 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 provide some advice and and help um athletes because he can't he can't be the only one and obviously the statistics are very clear as to what happens to, to professional footballers um post-career both in terms of financial status um, and relationship status um and so that that was kind of a big a big part in terms of building a practice that was actually focused on the individual athlete, athletes. <clears throat> so like very private client focused, really. Um, and that allowed us to kind of move away from trying to pitch towards the big football clubs because that 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 wasn't going to be in my, <laughs> in my mind <laughs> to be doing. We weren't doing that kind of work. Rights holder work wasn't was obviously a very specialist area. Um, and our our my mindset was okay 
how can we advise the individual athletes so they have the best advice when it comes to their, their contracts and negotiations? How can we advise them to make sure they've got the right team around them and build that team? And fast forward um, to today, what we seem to be doing with a lot of athletes is building that off-the-pitch team. So we've built some really great you know, networks over the years with you know, some top accountants who are excellent in, in, in the sports space. As you'll, me- you'll know many of them, Sean. Um, financial advisors, very similar. Um, <coughs> insurance brokers who work in this space who are experts at providing career-ending insurance um, and really providing that full off-the-pitch team um, kind of experience. And, and also what we also did quite early on was not try and be com- a p- competitor to the agent. It was one of kind of the, the founding parts. So there, were, there were lots of lawyers who were, who were becoming registered intermediaries at the time, and prior to those intermediary regulations, you could fill in a form, and because you're regulated by the SRA, you, you could get a you know, registered status as well. Um, and that was something we, we didn't want to do. We kind of wanted to engage and educate um, within the space um, from an from a agent's point of view. We, we saw that with the deregulation um, that was in place, there was going to be mums and dads and uncles and all sorts of individuals being able to come into the space without any kind of formal hurdles to, to, to overcome. And, and that was an opportunity for us to provide advice. And I guess from the, from the firm perspective as well, given your, your, you know, the firm's history and, and client base, that was, as you say, very on, on point in terms of you're used to dealing with clients like that, right? Being more sort of like private client focused. Um, you know, you, you, the type of individuals and the type of questions and the, the, the lack of awareness, let's say, uh, of that broader uh, professional services environment is something that you will be used to walking through with clients so they yeah. understand how to navigate it. So, as you said, it wasn't like you were, you know, just... You know, just going, well, I'm, I'm a top sports lawyer and here's all the sports stuff. You say, no, hey, we've got expertise here. We understand the sports market, but this is where we can help you through your journey, which is, you know, uh, I'd be interested on your perspective actually on that, which is when you were describing your first encounter with the, the, you know, the first player that you worked for, how much of that was a, a kind of surprising to you and almost a, a sort of a look behind the curtain because one of the things that we always talk about from law in sport and I talk about this you know in a global context not only just domestically but often the allure of particularly football but other sports as well with all of the cameras and the lights and the big sponsorship deals and everything else is often um can mm, give a, 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 a um how can I, I'm trying to phrase it in the correct way. I don't cause any injustice in this how I <laughs> narrate this, but almost creates an artificial um, uh, perspective or interpretation of what the real um, environment is like mm-hmm. for, for players in particular. Well, I think, I think on the, the private client point of view, that very much is the DNA of the firm. So dealing with, those ultra high net worth kind of clients and high net worth clients and the private client was was perfect. So it had the, the perfect kind of foundation to build that. And a meeting with that player, in terms of how illuminating it was for me, um, massively. I think you know that first kind of meeting set set the bar <laughs> um, pretty low for what I expected to be in the industry. 
And I'm kind of weirdly glad that I didn't meet an individual who had everything around them. Um, and, and there's not many that are, to yeah. be honest. Cristiano Ronaldo, David Beckham. <laughs> so I, yeah, and they've, they've got great teams. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that, that, you know, you know, that was kind of really good from my perspective to, to see that. I think um, it, was, it was quite hard to see um, individuals within an environment. And, and if we take professional football, and I, and I can speak now having dealt with, with many players, but it is an environment where you are conditioned into thinking into a certain way, conditioned into what your career should look like, conditioned into the culture of what the club is like. So um, I think many people seem to kind of sometimes forget that big bubble that's around these individuals. That they have a lot of things done for them and they're not really ever prepared for, for the real world. So my questions to that individual player were naive in the sense I'd gone through in my own prof- and my own <coughs> professional life, you know, ups and downs. Um, and, and they don't really have, didn't really go through that because either they're very much protected because they're in that bubble. Um, and then once that bubble goes, um, they're, they're fully exposed to, unfortunately, um, individuals that may want to take advantage of them or individuals that may not necessarily be the right person to, to help them in the next step, stage of their career. So it was, it was very illuminating. I think that the biggest thing for me was understanding how to deal with someone in that in those situations because I kind of already knew that this was not going to be the first time I'd be dealing with an athlete in that space um and, and in that environment and who'd gone through through that. And my my aim was to think actually, um and this kind of leads on to something I can talk about shortly is is the educational aspect. So clearly I, I in my mind he'd been let down by the club, let down by his agent possibly let down by his professional advisors if he had any in not preparing him in that way and I felt that actually if you're going to be in this space as a professional advisor you have to do all the things you would normally do for your your private client but you have to understand you're going to have to probably go another 10-15 steps more Um, and there is an extra responsibility I feel working in this space understanding the clients that we're dealing with that there's an extra element of education you know we get players who would call us up now you know, how to set up broadband in their house once they purchase it that's not something i would necessarily recommend um, advising upon but um it, it's because they it's the trust side of things you know so i think um that that was something is, i'd say is, is this important. is across the board in in the in the, the where i see mm-hmm. like in sports or more, more broadly in 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 in, in sport is that you know sometimes it can be hard to acquire that trust and i said if you're a good actor in the space it can you'll you know, can pay dividends, but likewise, if you're um, because of lack of professionalization, even in football, that it can expose people to being manipulated because people can appear to be trusted advisors uh, with the best interests of an individual or a club or a federate at heart, but really they're they're trying to extract as much value from that individual. Yeah, uh, and that the problem with that is, as, as, as you're saying in this gentleman's case. Um, all too often that gets exposed right at the end. And, you know, we've had like Gareth Farrelly on uh, before who talked about this at length and, and, and others, Louis Saha being a prime example of that, right? We found out at the end of the career they don't have as much money or, um, you know, don't have the, the frameworks in place. I remember actually when we first met and over the, the coffees that we had that this was always um, an area of interest of yours, uh, which was this educational part. Um, you now work across um, other sports and yep. you know, the one that, 
that we talk about a lot is boxing. Obviously, yep. um, my personal interest in the sport and MMA and uh, how do you see that compare to, um, and what do you see going on in 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 that sport? Yeah, I, um, you're you're right. It has it, it's something that we've we started working in product four or five years ago. Um, MMA, we've done quite a bit in that space. Done some stuff with some some fairly large personalities in the space, um, and it naturally led into a, a lot of boxing work. Um, the similarities and dissimilarities. I mean, boxing, as you'll know, doesn't have its um, reputation for being the most professional, regulated sport in the world. Um, the comparisons we can make to football are very interesting. Um, I would say that the, there is a lot, a lot of um, individual boxers that are more at risk of being manipulated in a certain kind of way. They don't have necessarily the team dressing room to kind of um, you know, talk about I've met X, I've met Y. And as you all know, if you're in a football changing room, if you know, most players will, will talk about you know, they've got good agents, bad agents, good people who sort them out for lifestyle things and bad people who have not, not helped them. Um, that kind of ability in, in boxing, that kind of opportunity for boxers isn't really necessarily there. They don't share changing rooms in that way. They've got their own team. Um, and Be their a manager or coach or sure, whoever it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and not all the teams are at that level where they would provide all of those things. You know, a lot of them have focuses on the training um, and it's kind of put your head down and, and, and go purse by purse, bout by bout. Um, so our work in that space has kind of developed quite a lot, working with now you know world champion boxers, um, doing some very lucrative promotional deals with some of the biggest promoters in the world, um, watching fighters headline on pay-per-view. Um, and I think where we've come in, come in really is imparted a lot of that expertise from the boxing and the and the motorsport stuff that we've done before um sorry the i mean the football and and the, and the motorsport stuff we've done before and and taken a lot of those lessons and and kind of imparted them and, I, and i'm a big believer in actually you can you can look at these different sports and I, I i i'm actually quite happy that we have um a few different sports that we work in because you can take learnings from from different things and i think you can apply them and uh, we do the similar thing you know, from a music point of view. And music is, you know, probably um, twenty years ahead of, of the sports industry in, in that in that respect, in terms of the contractual elements and and, and the relationships. Um, so we've we've taken some of those learnings and we've imparted them into the boxing space already, and we've started doing that with with the athletes we work with. Um, but it take it has there has to be an, an kind of an appetite and an, another party to want that to happen so as much as you can as much as you want maybe you know a, a contract in place that's looking perfect and protects the boxer to you have to understand that actually you're not going to ever get that in in certain certain um, with certain promoters or certain actors in this space and, and to what degree you talked about the conditioning start mm -hmm. uh, you know from one of the things that i've always picked up on in boxing has been that this because of obviously a lot of the boxers are from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, this kind of like attitude towards boxers as if they deserve whatever they get is what they deserve because they know full well what they're doing and they didn't have a better opportunity. That's why they're doing what they're doing. And to a certain degree, a lot of my mates and and uh, and friends in the <laughs> in the sport 
kind of almost agree with it at times and was like a sense of learned helplessness in terms of this is what it is this is the culture of boxing we just go ahead with it yeah um would you agree with that sort of assessment and uh, are uh, i guess how optimistic are you that that things are starting to yeah there is an opportunity for things to change you know obviously with the zone mm -hmm. um deal sky now you know doing their deal with top rank i think it is a boxer, yeah. yeah yeah and boxer um how optimistic are you that there can be a sort of a, you know, a shifting culture? Let's say. Well, I think it, it. I think it kind of. It takes. It takes the the, the boxing manager, the management agency, um, the promoters um, to kind of impart that kind of culture, and I think it is going that way. You know, we we act for some clients now who are um, very astute. Um, okay, they they might not have gone through the the kind of. Um, opportunities of education and, and have fully prepared themselves um, for a life after boxing but um, they have you know a lot of streetwise common sense as most boxers do um, I think there's not so much of that element of I you know the emotional aspect just driving it forward all the time of course you get characters we've got some some incredible characters of clients um, and they will drive their decision making um, but that's part and parcel of, of the personality um, what we're starting to see at the moment is some boxing managers who would come to come to us for example and say actually no you need to speak to we need we need lawyers to review this contract whereas before they would pretty much sign anything that's put in front of them without even checking it. Most most fighters probably would, um, as long as the purse values are in there somewhere. Um, you know, we, in the early days, we were pretty much advising um, a lot of boxers on agreements they'd already signed. I mean, it was kind of pointless in many senses in terms of advice. This is kind of already what you signed up to. Um, and um, and then some of those agreements, it says you'll, you'll obtain legal advice, do, never did. So. Do, you, do you think that, the, that one of the things I've, I definitely witnessed is that you see this and I, I'm sure that there's psychologists and sociologists who sort of can describe this in some academic framework, but where the, there is um, almost like with betting, right, that you back yourself. And I guess as you could argue this is a cross sport or across opportunities that just no matter what you your real chances are, people would just think to themselves, if I could get through, if I can get to British level mm -hmm. where you're probably earning 20 grand, yeah. something like that per fight, uh, um, and then from that you've got to pay your living costs for three or four months trainer trainer yeah. or, or sparring partners etc mm -hmm. that if you can get beyond that level and finally break into European world level then you can get your real paycheck so anything up to that point is sunken is like sunken cost almost like we just take that right we just yeah take that hit because we're not that's not the game we're in the game we're in is to get to world level yeah. and then with a lack of sort of planning and understanding of you know that there's a chance that you may not get there because you could just have one bad day yeah, and yeah. then you're looking at what being you're a year two years behind where you would be to get to what you consider to be your real earning potential yeah i, I think i think you're pretty much spot on we, we have um clients who come to us once they've just got through all of all of that those hurdles um and then they'll say actually now this is where it starts you know, this yeah. is where I now start thinking cleverly about my my uh, image rights company, my commercial endorsements, the right kind of boxing commercial agency that I'm working with, the right kind of accountant to make sure things are done properly. Um, this is this is now where I start. You know, we have quite quite a few play, uh, quite a few boxers, sorry, who come in and say, 
you know, I'm, I haven't really saved anything. No, no. I literally, this is where I've got to. Yeah, yeah. So saving kind of has to be a priority now. I, hope, I, hope, so. I really hope that changes. We're going to look to do, I think we mentioned to you, we'll, yes. we'll look to do something on this in terms of the legal aspects because it's always been something that I've been interested in and should move forward on. And then coming to back to the one thing I wanted to get on because I know we're, we're slightly short of time is... Um, Obviously, you went to a good, I think you went to a good, I was checking your profile out earlier, Uh-oh. I was stalking you, <laughs> and you went to a, a, a sort of a good grammar school. Yeah. Um, but you come from uh, a part of Kent, Yeah. which is, let's just say, <laughs> at times... was Colourful. <laughs> Colourful, right. Um, let's just say, yeah. um, obviously... It could be hard. You, you're hard in, place, in, yeah. Indian heritage. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when I found out Whereabouts where, where it came from? I, I was curious to know how that experience was growing up, and I could, and, you know, mm. we spoke about this. I'm not sure if you're that comfortable to talk about yeah, this. If I you're am, not, yeah, yeah. is that because I think it's in you know, we talk about this all the time, right? The lack of diversity in law, lack of diversity in sport. Right? You've come from an environment where, as I see it, and you seem to yeah. <laughs> validate my 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 thinking on that, that it wasn't necessarily the most, um, how can I say? diverse or um welcoming let's say um or inclusive environment yeah um i think i think i think you're right i think um ultimately you know if i i don't even think my parents understand still what, what necessarily a sports entertainment you know the lawyer does so i think growing up it was kind of i, I knew i wanted to to go into the law um from quite an early age from about 15 or so so I think that's why I went to a um, I went to uh, my my school organized something down at Medway Crown Court, which Medway is where I grew up. So um, and uh, it was kind of a moot like moot trial and mock trial. Sorry. Um, and um, and I, I watched it and I thought this is great. I, th- I thought the arguments were brilliant that were put forward by by the parties there and. I thought this is this is this seems like something I I'd like to learn more about. They're using things that people have put into place instrument wise, legislation wise, and are winning arguments based on it. I thought what a great way to to kind of um you know, to, to kind of argue my points through <laughs> through school, <laughs> through my parents, through my sister, <laughs> all those kind of people at the time. I thought this is this is a this is a good way to good way to kind of get all that out, really. We didn't really have a debating society or anything like that. We weren't that privileged, but um, but it was an opportunity to learn more. So I kind of thought, actually, I'd like to do this. And my career advisor told me to can it um, that you wouldn't ever really make it. Um, Seriously. Yeah. So um, that's, that's got. A, yeah, we had similar experiences. <laughs> yeah. I got told not to go into anything academic. Yeah. Um, but did that inspire you to do that? Was that? Yeah. Or? So so you know being brought up. Being brought up from obviously a, a North Indian heritage in a part of you know only one or two three maybe three kids in the school of of you know from from a different background basically from a Bain background that was it in the year so yeah, really. yeah so that was that so it was it was always a challenge from that point of view that was that was undoubtedly the, that was that was always a challenge and then so it wasn't like this was the first time someone was telling me you can't do something that was that's the honest answer um so i thought actually i'm going to try my you know hardest to to see what i can do um managed to kind of get out of kent go to surrey much more different place <laughs> 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 went to university of uh, university of surrey um 
um, and uh, was able to um, study law, do a placement year, and then and then kind of go on from there. Really, I can ask you something. One mm. of the things I always find incredible, because like I always say to people, you know, um, you know, I've got a bit of a Cockney type accent at times, and you know, but I'm a white guy. I'm six foot four. I can put on a suit, I can put a side parting on, yeah. I can talk a bit more clearly and with better English, and I get a pass, essentially. Yeah. Right? When you've got characteristics in which people are judging you and telling you, I can't fully appreciate, I don't think, not truly, I get, get close, but I can't fully appreciate what it is when it's part of your DNA, basically, that people are telling you, you can't, you can't, you can't. Now... Yeah, I've known you for a while, so I feel comfortable yeah, like, sure. having this conversation with you, if you are. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if you are. Yeah. Um, but you've got quite a, you know, uh, at least outwardly, like a robust um, and quite a, you know, almost a pragmatic to a degree sort of view on this in terms of like, you know, you take it in your stride, it's been like, you know, you just can't get used to it. Do, is that something that you learn? Is it something that was innate in you? Or what, what point... I think it's 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 more from um, probably a family point of view. So my um, my grandfather moved here in the sixties. Um, he wore a turban, being a Sikh man, um, couldn't get a job. Had a master's in economics. Wow. Um, super clever guy. Spoke four different languages. The only job he could ever get was in a surgical instrument factory, um, putting surgical instruments together because of the way he looked. Um, and if he looked a very different way, he, I'm sure he would have had a very different opportunity. Um, same thing for my, my dad and my mum growing up. My mum grew up in Liverpool, um, which is, again, a very hard place to grow, yeah. <laughs> grow up. And my dad grew up in, in, in Kent, and, uh, and he wore a turban, and him and my, it hit him and uh, my uncle um, you know, faced a lot of racial abuse growing up. Um, so it was kind of the card that you'd been dealt in some ways. I'd grown up knowing that it's, there was going to be, you have you kind of have to deal with that, and my grandfather was quite upfront about it. You know, you're going to find it ten times harder than everybody else. And then I decided to go into a career where <laughs> it's it it's you know it, it's quite unusual. You know, there's not many. You know, the, okay, you'll come across a lot of like fame lawyers, and there's but you can so see that black. Sorry, sorry, so this for people, yeah. and there's there's issues around this terminology nowadays. Yeah. But uh, uh, black ethnic, a uh, black um, Asian and ethnic minority, basically, yeah. is a group, but really yeah. people from from minority backgrounds, ethnic minority backgrounds yeah. um, of all different types. Uh, just for the, just because again, a lot of people may not know. Yeah, that. and I might have got the terminology completely yeah. wrong, so apologies <laughs> if everyone's offended. But I I think it's the only one I grew up with knowing this is what I could be classed into. Um, so. Yeah, it was uh, it was kind of what you what I'd I'd faced um, doing VAC schemes, trying to get into you know training contracts was um, hard. And uh, if I'm being totally honest, there were definitely firms that looked at me a very different way because I didn't look or fit what they expected a lawyer in the city of London to to, to look like. Um, which, to be honest, as I said earlier, it just it's just a driving factor, just yeah. to c continue to to prove it wrong, and I I kind of like doing that. <laughs> I do it in my job <laughs> daily. You know, it would be a case where someone's a client says to me, "Can we do that?" And I was like, "Well, let's try and let's try and achieve what, what we can and work hard for it." Well, all due respect to you for for, for taking that approach and for doing it, because as I said, I'm a very fortunate 
position in that regards like yeah i'm winning just because of the you know my background and the way that that i look essentially i can get away with stuff and i think you know there's people i meet like yourself and others who've got a level of uh, i would say dignity that 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 um and grace with dealing with these type of issues that again probably for the reason that i you know, I haven't had to deal with it. So therefore, I I haven't had to learn that, if you see what I mean. Yeah, but, yeah, but, but I think, it, 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 you know, I can only imagine what you, you know, again, knowing we spoke about this before, knowing what you went through and stuff, uh, you know, we, it's probably not for podcast material, but, but you yeah. know, there are, you know, I think, you know, more strength to you. And I think it, it, it definitely is something that I I think is, um, I think, I may be wrong, but I feel like it's the, you know, some when we talked about athlete education and stuff like that in the past, yeah. it's something that gives you a compassion in terms of people facing obstacles that um, obviously translates, at least from our friendship and, and other conversations we have that comes across. One of the things I wanted to get into as well, if you're happy to, is that you seem to be reached out to a lot yeah. by people when we spoke previously because mm-hmm. yeah, we we were involved in you know trying to help people we've got a global mentoring scheme and others do you just want to um highlight because i always think if you're not part of the affected group you probably don't understand truly what's going on you think you, yeah you've probably got a good great understanding can you just describe sort of like, you know how many people reach out to you um yeah i didn't i think i probably underestimated um you know um doing what i do because i think you're just in it every day doing your job and, and that's kind of your thing, um, how you're kind of viewed externally from those who want to be in the industry, from those who are training, from those who are uh, sixth form, et cetera, um, probably get five emails a week at least um, from anyone from 16 upwards who reaches out to say, actually, um, it, you, you look like someone who looks like me. I didn't know that's a job that you could do can you do you have any do you have time to do that um to talk about it with me or any opportunity for work experience and i'm a massive advocate for that because you know at one point everyone's given that opportunity and i'm a big believer in in giving giving that back um and uh yeah so we we look to accommodate as much as possible i do a lot of time and speak to students outside of outside because i think if you you don't give the opportunity even the courtesy of a response, even to say I can't, might, might not speak to you now. Um, I'm super busy, but can we schedule something in a month's time? And I'll pop it in the diary, and it's there. Um, I think that that I know that if I was on the other side of that email, how much that could that would mean if I didn't have the opportunity. It could be, that, it could be like you know, I always say to people like over my career, you know, I'm always astonished what where I've got to, <laughs> given my lack of ability. But for, for often for the, the <laughs> often for the want of kindness of it's really because of the kindness of others who have given you a little bit. I bumped into a guy who was a ruthless corporate commercial uh, corporate lawyer, one of the firms I worked at, notorious for working silly hours and everything mm. else, and was so kind and supportive of me when I was a, a law firm. And it, I said to him, I bumped into him at a wedding, and I said, just want to know, really appreciate it. just a little bit of kindness meant the world to me at that moment in time. And I think the stuff that you're doing, like reaching out to people. Is is so also responding to people is so important. And the other thing that I always remember, like Seth Godin talked about, what people ask themselves. A you know, famous marketeer, brilliant guy, said, people ask themselves, what do people like us do? Mm. What do people like us do? And when you think of it that mm. way, do people like me work in law? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do they do that? And when people can see that and go, oh, people like me do do that. And I never appreciated that mod- that role modeling how important that was until later on in life. 
um, is so powerful, I think, and so important. So it's great that you're doing that, but also, you know, I think that we, you know, the, the bene- that we benefit from having a, re- a more diverse, um, from every metric you can imagine, uh, environment. So in a, what would you suggest that, that we do and uh, you know there'll be people listening here who are mm. who agree um and want to try to be more diverse try want to try a, if not necessarily be more diverse but definitely be more inclusive as a whole in their approach from your experience what do you think could be done it's a big big question it's a big question just um, drop it in there <laughs> um, any prep how can we solve the world's problems i i i think i think um there's always an opportunity to kind of and I think we've seen this over the years where it's become a, a growing focus. Um, there's always an opportunity to, to better educate yourselves on those issues. So, as you've spoken about, you know, we've seen the Black Lives Matter um, movement um, over the last year or so, year and a half or so. Um, we've seen the focus um, where over the Euros, the racial abuse suffered by you know, even clients of ours um, and, and, it, it's, and the prevalence of of that message coming out from the biggest right, one of the biggest rights hold in the world, the Premier League, for example. Um, so education and an and un- understanding is important. I think there needs to probably be an element of, I think, opportunity. I think that I, I'm not a big fan of, of really kind of saying you need to kind of ring fence opportunities. You make your own kind of luck and you make your own kind of opportunity. But I think there needs to be, you know, a, an ability to sh- a platform potentially to share what I've maybe kind of experienced my journey as an example. Um, others very similar to myself who have gone through that, um, because at the moment the reach I'm getting from from obviously these individuals is because they've just spotted it somewhere. Um, so I don't really know always how that that comes yeah. into my inbox necessarily or my LinkedIn. Uh, message messages but um there's no kind of here's here's a kind of a portal where actually you can you can kind of feel quite comfortable in in saying well that, how do you kind how have you done that with that cultural kind of background and how has that kind of made you feel and and also i think other others who are party to that conversation or listening and and on the learnings of that overall that hopefully would lead lead to you know, a, a mental maybe a more acceptable inclusive mentality i think it's a great point and i think there are various organizations doing different things we've yeah. got a project not necessarily run by us but we're involved in that addresses some of those people sharing their experiences but again you're looking at how audiences are now consuming information whether sure. they're students or others so you probably have to be you know, a multi-point dissemination of all this information of the relevant yeah. points but i think it's a great point the other thing is then there is a positive message with all of this because I yeah. always say to people, I literally just had a call with some with, with a friend who's, um, I won't go into any details because I don't embarrass them, but I was like, they say they're from a diverse background and I was saying to them, look, there's lots of opportunity for you, right? It may do wrong, it's going to be hard, but in theory, there's lots of people who would really value the fact that you're diverse and, and got diverse experience. And so yeah. from your perspective, um, how has it been a positive for you and how do you see it you know, moving forward? I think it's been a positive in in um, it for me, actually from a client point of view. I'll be totally honest. I'm working with clients who from different cultural backgrounds, especially like boxing, for example, and and footballers, Premier League players, who don't necessarily um, come from a tr- traditional you know background that they would associate with a, a partner at a law firm, um, and they're able to see an alignment 
in time in terms of our mentality maybe the challenges we've both overcome and it's actually sometimes led to winning the work um because they feel that connection there and, and and working with your client is all about that trust um that that alignment that harmony that you have with them um and um so, so i've seen it sometimes as a, as a as a benefit the more multicultural you know professional athletes are the more that's in yeah. some way a benefit for me because I, I can i can associate and and i can i can understand maybe some of the challenges they've gone through and that works out across the board like again if you've got bigger teams again having a diverse team yeah it's essentially you know having a good uh, client service yeah you know and this is the one thing that i always think where it, you know, i'm surprised that, that you know obviously we run a recruitment division and it's something that i give a lot of thought to because we don't see the level of diversity of applications for roles yeah it's more diverse than it was but it I'm always surprised because there is m more diversity in law than there was before. It still requires a lot of work to fix the problem, but the I'm, all, I'm still in sports law, in particular, still surprised about the lack of diversity of applicants going for either in-house roles, private practice roles, um, which is I find troubling, to be honest with you. Um, and so there's some stuff to be done there. Um, yeah, something. Anyway, so it's great to speak to you about this. I'm having a basically we're having I'm having a personal coaching session. No, no, well, it's, <laughs> it's, but it's quite useful because you know, again, I think that you know we need the people from all different. Whether it's you're from a super privileged background, you're a top academic, into we need that. You know, we need obviously standards across the sector. But given the number of people in sport who still do not use lawyers, yes. and it seems to be, yeah. I reckon it's something like eighty percent of people still in sport particularly athletes don't use lawyers there's such a room for growth to get good legal advice and that's where the, the i think the diversity really I think spot on pays because off. ultimately a lot of those individuals have a an image or a kind of a preconceived stereotype of what a, a lawyer is does and who they'll be and what they'll do and probably more importantly they think they're going to from a fees point of view that that's always i think in the back of the mind of, a, of an athlete so you know for I'm a big believer in, in providing that access, and we've done that. We do a lot of pro bono uh, work, actually, um, which we feel gives back yeah. in, into that I space. think, oh, by the way, on that point, I think, and thank you for disclosing that, I think that, that again, 90%, if not more, of the established sports lawyers in the market of uh, who promote being in sports law do pro bono work or yep. have done pro bono. Nick DeMarco talked about this, you know, you know, John Murns accused, you know, you just go down the list of, of people, Kendra Pot, like, you know, because people, some people do it because they want to give back. Some people do it because they just think he's uh, good for experience and to get, again, diversity of, of, of uh, you know, particularly if you're acting for the, the higher end, they say, of sport, you get to keep up to date with what's going on on the ground yep. and, and keep you abreast. And uh, again, I don't think this is a, a, enough, um, they say, honesty, not even honesty, but exposure. I think more than anything to it. Uh, yeah, in, and I think I think clients market. also don't know about it. I, I was dealing with a client a couple of months ago that I referred to. I, we couldn't deal with. It was a different kind of. And I referred them to another another sports lawyer who is happy to do it on a pro bono basis, and it's in their sector. Mm. Um, and to be honest with you, um, that was in the best interest of that client. But he they they didn't even know that someone would take a case like that you know it's, it's quite hard to find 
you know, a list of those individuals who would say, "I'm um, put my hand up. I'm happy to do it." But but the but the enthusiasm. I mean, we, we've seen it at our co- at your conferences. You know, it, it, there is a real willingness for people to want to connect to to give back. As lawyers generally, you know, we're we're, we're upholding kind of um, r- the, the laws, obviously, of, of the country as senior court senior solicitors of the courts of of England and Wales. But also, we have that level of principles that we adhere to, ethics, um, and generally that does tend to kind of lead to wanting to give something back. I, I agree that there's, I was having a conversation with someone uh, in International Federation this morning about this saying, look, if you can have, and this is one of the reasons why I think we've been successful with law and sport, which is, look, if you can give people a service, a really good service, but you can give people a service, but make them have an impact and make them connect with people. And we always talk about meaningful relationships. They take the great service and that meaningful relationship every day of the week. Yeah every day of the week Great. rather than just a transactional relationship and for me this is where you know more we try to encourage is like there's i always said this with, when we started was there's more good people than there are bad people in the world and there's certainly more people no matter if they represent international federation players or clubs you know most people want to do something positive they're not yeah. trying to do something negative it may be that they're stuck in these cultural aspects or structural aspects or you know whatever they're trying to balance certain uh, professional obligations so if, 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 uh, but if should you give people the opportunity and show them that they can do that and uh, obviously from from your side make people aware the athletes aware that there are people willing to do that it, it's going to benefit the whole sector i think so and i think you know there's there's a I, personally and this is probably a, a conversation for another time <laughs> but um my view of certain you know player unions is that they can do a lot more in that space it's not always necessarily on you know cl- football clubs to provide that as, a, as an access of course it is they, they they do that as part of you know you have law- lawyers and accountants financial advisors speaking in front of players all the time whether that actually translates to anything is another question but i think there's a lot more from the other stakeholders to provide those platforms and it doesn't it doesn't and shouldn't necessarily always come from from you know the legal set. Sometimes it does. You know, we, we run a um, like a sports law clinic at UCFB, yeah. which is um, which is just giving pro bono advice and people booking for forty minutes consultation. Whether they're students at UCFB, whether they're athletes, whether they're agents, um, and we get we give them the opportunity to sit down and speak with one of either myself or one of my team. Um, and get some advice, free advice for 40 minutes. And that, that's quite str- initially quite strange for them to be able to attain some, some free advice. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we then see repeat kind of clients that come back to that clinic and then we see the word spreading. And we're, we're trying to grow that actually. So we'll see what happens. Well, I think that's fanta- a fantastic initiative. And we need to chat off the record about that for some other stuff. We're trying to, as you know, we're always trying to problem solve mm. um, from particularly from a global perspective. Um, and I think it's a really good thing. But I remember working at a legal advice centre for a period and, again, you know, working with some brilliant lawyers. I mean, absolutely brilliant lawyers giving up their time for free to help people on on to who people who otherwise would not, yeah. would not have had the opportunity. And it was some of the most um, encouraging, uplifting, sometimes challenging uh, experiences that uh, people had at times. Um, 
and I think we can do a lot more again if we can I think the key key thing is we need to work a bit more collaboratively globally and I think one of the problems with say for example with player associations obviously work with a lot of them um, is that they're often stretched you know they've got the politics that you know the players that you know any member association is stretched and I think sometimes it can be hard to see sort of have a clarity of thought to go ah oh, this is how we can align people yeah. and get the momentum um, but I think the type of stuff that you're doing and, and, and others are doing in the space is 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 the way forward, uh, particularly as we recognise that you know if we can accept that the fact that there is a bunch of people within any sector, but particularly in the sports sector, who are never going to have money to pay for services, but if we don't help them, there'll be more co- it'll cost us more in time, money, Absolutely. effort to resolve those issues further down the line. You pretty much hit the nail on the head. I mean, the reason why we do a lot of that and why we do a lot of work with a lot of young athletes, especially in the esports mm. you know, space, and, and and tends to to kind of help them get off the ground is in is is a very selfish point <laughs> that we don't want to end up dealing with issues <laughs> ten years down the line or five years down the line. Frankly, we want to be helping them build something. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and that kind of all goes towards that same mentality. Yeah. And also, like you know, the, 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 the interesting thing is this. Uh, I, I guess I, I might come across a bit preachy at times. Um, which is something no I'm trying to work on. Yeah, which I'm trying to try, try not joking. <laughs> I'm trying to work on, but there shouldn't be this. I've always had this belief, and it's something that values we try to instill with them. What we do is that you should be able to do good and make money. It's not to say that you did this separate thing of saying like you can do pro bono work. You can do it in a in, with a view to go. Actually, we hope that this may lead to us to, to meet people and people can see what the, the quality of work that we do. And as they develop in their careers, they will instruct us. There's nothing wrong with that. I think where where there's where there's a sort of a line, where the line it gets a bit tricky is when people are just literally doing it. Not they're not even trying to help. Basically, they're literally doing it as their primary motive is just to generate new business. And it's so um, it's tough. I think I think I think um, it always comes always comes down to like long term and short term like views on how you take things. We take a we take a very long term view in terms of the practice. You know, it's it's a it's organically grown. We haven't had to manufacture its existence from you know, acting for now you know seventy odd kind of individual players, twelve agencies, whatever it is. But we haven't we haven't that's very organic with a long term view. Um, and the pro bono stuff has sit, sat alongside that as a long-term aspect, as, you know, foundation to where some of those clients have, have come from. If you go in very short-term, thinking there's a, a sh- I can, I can make, I can obviously help this client on one occasion, and then I can look from a transactional perspective on the second piece of work or the second occasion. More often than not, it kind of it's a massive turnoff for them anyway, and then they don't want to engage. So I think there's. I think there's a balance with that, but there's also a balance with if you're an individual lawyer listening to this and listening to us speak about it, you've also got to have the firm behind you that understands a long-term view, um, and that helps with the pro helps you with the because otherwise you can feel very pressured. I think some lawyers do think I've got to make a short I've got to make a short-term um, judgment over a pro bono matter or a view upon it because I need to justify it internally. Well, I think I think that's a great point. It's some of the things I think I mentioned to you when we, when we met when you disqualified I think and it was probably around the corner for a coffee and we were talking about this in terms of what we'd seen I've probably seen about how many agencies I don't know but uh, yeah. uh, we're going to do things differently we're going to you know and with all good intentions and they just fade away yeah. likewise the number of sports law practices we've seen individual lawyers who say I've got backing from a firm and they've given them six months maybe a year's backing yeah and 
they barely just started to tell people what they're doing for, and they're saying where's the return on investment is and this is a highly competitive sector yeah um the established players in the market have got good relationships and deep relationships because one they were often there first but secondly they've worked hard to maintain that exactly um and and if you said it's, it's a, a sector that's uh, law is professional services built on trust and therefore if they have the trust you're going to struggle to uh, uh, to make a name for yourself outside of things that so without things that are outside of your control which is like say conflicts or you know someone you know just wants to get some different perspective just wants to change or there's a change of management or there's a change of you know some of these other factors so i think it's one of the things i always remember thinking as you were going through it you always had a, a uh you were very calm in terms of we're building, we're building, we're building, we're building, yeah. rather than, right, we're going to set the world on fire this year. This is going to be the year we're going to, yeah. you, you know, I see a lot of people who get struck with enthusiasm. Yeah. I understand it. No, I, I get I, I get it. You know, if you're looking to build your practice, it, it's an amazing, of, of course, it's an amazing sector to work in. You work with some incredible clients. You have the opportunity to work with some incredible get matters. Get to work with Lauren Sport. Get to work with yeah. Lauren Sport. <laughs> um, get to attend the networking drinks with you guys, which is fun. Um, but you, you have, um, I think, like I say, it's all, all about an organic kind of view um, and building. As you say, there's lots of, um, fantastic sports lawyers in in and around the city, and not just in the city, you know, around the country, around who, the world now, and around the world, the as you say. Um, and you can't really, you can't underestimate the hard work that goes into that. Um, you only really tend to see the the tip of the iceberg of of what everybody's success is that they either showcase and or don't then, showcase. And even then, there's certain types of work which we talked about before, which. I'm trying to lobby against almost, which yes. is which which is like there's certain certain types of let's say alignment to successes which aren't really didn't require much input from the lawyer yeah and, uh, so there's there's enough of it though that, that to, to again so people in the market they know who's doing what what's really going on and the reality but it's, it's more of a concern to the the youngsters who are coming through as they're modeling going oh how am i going to, to do that and not realizing that there's all this other work whether it's real estate workings for for stadia or for yeah you know um you know the merchandise staff or whether it's ip or whether it's tax advice yeah or you know this other area which is that sometimes doesn't get the profile that maybe a football transfer may get yeah let's say yeah no, i think i think I think like with anything that's unfortunately part of the run of the mill but opportunities to come I think you, you've had um, tax advisors at, at Law and Sport yeah, Conference so absolutely. things like that gives the opportunity I think to hear from people who have assisted with what usually gets the headlines and maybe the individual lawyer or the agent who who's associated or helped with that um, ultimately it's one of those one of those kind of weird balances with self-promotion that we've spoken about before yeah. and, and the balance with your marketing as a, as a as, as an individual lawyer, I think you've always got to have your own um, style and personality. And within my team, I kind of look to push that now to say, look, have your own style and personality because you'll attract certain kind of clients to work with that, as opposed to saying, I need to be like X or exactly. you know, this is not be like Mike also, kind of. Also <laughs> kind like, like, there's two people that we know uh, who are great on social, which yes. is you know, Nick and Nick DeMarco yes, and, yeah. and Daniel Gee. And I put a post out ages ago about people just trying to get crave profile and i was saying no the differences between people like that and there are, there are others um is that they actually put a lot of hard work in and did huge the work, amount. <laughs> a huge amount of work in before they started to disclose what they were doing 
Absolutely. I think that the problem is, I think for people coming into the market, sometimes that can be really confusing because they see someone, again, who, and these people enjoy doing that type of, as you're saying, they're being themselves. They like doing that type of stuff. And therefore, it comes more naturally to them. Or one of our friends, Jake Cohen, who used to be more, much more prolific, though, um, you know, he enjoyed talking about football finance yep. and that type of thing. That was his hobby. It wasn't that he was trying to do it to orchestrate something. Exactly. Obviously, it did create opportunities, but he wasn't trying to do it. And I think this is this, as you're saying, it's, it's um, a difficult thing, I think, for people who are trying to get into this very competitive market to understand the difference. And it is a subtle difference between people who are just self-promoting, shamelessly self-promoting. And again, that might be a style that works for certain people and it might be nothing wrong with that. But likewise, there are absolutely times where I see um, people promote something and you think, they haven't really disclosed that, that you know, or well they're, they're happy to let other people fill in the blanks. And I'm sure yeah. we, don't be wrong, I'm sure I've, I do the same. I'm sure I've done the same as well. So I'm not saying I'm an angel, but it stretches the imagination. But also, though, I think it can cause a problem for people looking to grow sports practices because then they try to do the same, realize, and then only over time they realize there's no return on investment. Right. And then sometimes they get disenfranchised and actually they might well be excellent lawyers who could have helped the industry. So I think exactly. I think you're right. There is an element of an illusion that sometimes is, is difficult to displace. But there are lots of, like you say, really good, Loads, good individuals yeah. and they do some great stuff and they market themselves in a great way. And they're providing and a lot of hard work, as you say, has gone into um, the message that they're providing either on a singular topic or on a whole strand of, of topics. Um, and you, you do, I think, the more you have worked, and this is my experience, you've worked in the space, that you know the, the people that you know are doing what they're doing, they're still around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think you're, you're, you, what the point you made earlier is those who, who kind of have faded, um, it, you, you kind of can tell it didn't either work out or the strategy wasn't right from the beginning. And I remember when our early conversations with law and sport was, you know, and you very kindly gave me some pearls of wisdom about how to kind of think about the practice and, and utilizing those learnings and being open and, and, and kind of willing to learn in that way is a massive part of building something long-term. No, absolutely. Um, well, Mo, congratulations on the session you've had today. Um, long may that continue. As I said, I love your story. Um, that's why I wanted you on the part of the reason I wanted you on the podcast. Oh, I just you. think it's cool because I still remember you and I'm now getting old. Um, which is just frightening for me. But anyway, it's the <laughs> natural course of life. Just have to suck it up and accept it. But I remember, like, literally, still, like, yeah, Fresh when you face. told me you made, yeah, yeah you, you made partner, I remember thinking, oh, no, how long, <laughs> how, how long have I known you? I still see this young pup who's coming into the yeah. into the sector. But it's awesome to, to, you know, one of the joys of it is you do get slightly older. Not that I'm that old, but that you know, the being around in the sector for so long, you start to see people's journey yeah. and to see how they're doing. It's wonderful to see your progression, see what you've built and are building, and uh, and particularly, I love the the as you know the pro bono stuff and that uh, the whole point of education. I know you work with a lot of other people mm. who work like you know from different firms and others who we know uh, in the sector are trying to achieve a, a similar thing. Um, but no, thank you, and hopefully, you know. There's a you know, you've enjoyed the podcast. I, I enjoyed did. it. Yeah. I said just catching up with my mate, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. But um, no, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for taking the time out. And I said you've you've got the award of doing the first in person podcast in probably well, however long it was a year and a half, two years nearly now. Oh, thank you. Crazy. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's great for you to, to be here with all your gear. <laughs> <laughs> We've got it working. Eventually. Got it working. Um, a bit rusty. <laughs> and um, no, honestly, it, it's a real privilege and an honour. And at the end of the day. Um, law and sport have been a big part of, of where 
I am today. So um, no, thank you for that. And looking forward to seeing you at the next conference. Brilliant. And remember, guys uh, and girls, for that matter, um, wherever you are, whatever time of day it is in the world, thank you so much for tuning in. As I always say, you know, law and sport is unique in the sense that we don't allow people to pay to write for us. We don't allow people to pay to speak for us. We only focus on what's important. It just so happens what is important may be popular, but we don't just focus on what is popular, right? There's a subtle difference, right? We try to move the agenda forward, make the sector better. So if you like what we do, all we ask is that you tell people about it and share it with people. And of course, if you took value from the conversation I just had with Mo, if you'd like to hear about his experience, his perspective, please do reach out to him. I can't tell you enough that people in this Everyone's in a hurry, myself included. People aren't taking enough time to, to reach out and to say, hey, I enjoyed the podcast or I enjoyed your article. If you do that, I can tell you it will lead to building really meaningful, wonderful relationships in the sector. I encourage you to do it. And other than that, as always, thank you for your support. We really appreciate it and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. <laughs>